Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 303 of the podcast with my marvelous guest, Alicia Witt. I want to remind everyone that Sketchfest is about to begin. It is around the corner. January 10th is our opening night. There are a multitude of wonderful shows with many, many, many past JV Club guests, many Max Fun podcasts and podcast participants. Uh, so please check out our website, sfsketchfest.com. If you have not watched the uh, IFC series that is online, that I did called Fortune Rookie. I welcome you and invite you to do so. You can check out fortunerookie.net for information on that. You can actually just go right to episodes and watch them from there. And I am excited to give shout outs to those of you who wished me uh, myself happy holidays. Uh, Nita and Roberto, you are uh, in my mind because I just answered your emails. And uh, that's about it. So hope to see some of you in January. I will uh, talk to you soon. I'm going to dive in to the swimming pool that is my <laughs> podcast. This might be the best <laughs> intro I've ever done. Well, I don't I, have a of pool. course, nobody was sure where you were going when you said dive into the swimming pool that is my It could have been That's anything. An awkward beginning. It could have been anything. It could have been far, but far intriguing. less appropriate. Yes. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. This is too exciting. I can't get into the details of what the beverage that's being prepared other than that it contains caffeine. It um, does. That was my request. I basically walked in a moment ago, demanded caffeine. I, I, I don't think I even said hello, did I? Uh, you actually pushed you have past caffeine? me in a sort of glorious Swanson style sweeping motion. Yes. Are you going to take off your turban or do you, are you going to leave that on? For um, the... Well, that's a question for after I've had my caffeine. Understood. I mean, I don't, Understood. I don't know. I shouldn't have pressed until, until pressed. that hits my system. Yeah. We just don't really know what's going to happen. Okay. Well, you know, I like to gamble. <laughs> this going to be fun. Now, are you, um, do you mind if I ask, uh, have you just had like a crazy nonstop day or did you just get in? What kind of exhaustion are we looking at here? Was it a not a lot of sleep last night exhaustion? So it's, and by the way, I kind of thrive on this. My schedule is always all over the place. Yeah. It's all over the place as a musician. It's all over the place as an actor. Um, and even when I'm not doing those things, because my body clock is used to having no particular schedule, it just doesn't. Yeah. So what happened was yesterday was a really full day of trying to get a whole bunch of stuff done, which I did in Nashville where I live, um, before leaving for this next little part of my, my EP release tour that I'm on. But it was my dear friend Paula's birthday last night. Mm. So I took mm -hmm. her out for dinner at this incredible new restaurant that it, I am so excited that we found it. It's called the chef and I, okay. And it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to do to impress Paula because she is, she's not a chef for a living, but she might as well be. She's that good. Yeah. And she was so thrilled with this restaurant and it was a place she hadn't been yet. Oh, you it's, really, you did it. it. Yeah. But it's, it's fantastic. I would recommend it to anybody. Where is it? So it's in the Gulch pretty much mm -hmm. in the Nashville area. Mm -hmm. And they not only do they prepare, Oh, that's my, I'm going to turn that it's off. It's very mystical sounding. Yeah. I don't dislike it. I try to have, like a, a little sense it it raises the excitement when you get a text <laughs> it's an, message that's an exciting doesn't this yet sound not like overly invasive ring you know it's what like i mean just it a little surprise both. waiting for you yeah it's a little twinkle of fairy dust that got sprinkled onto your head in the form of a cell phone call yeah maybe well it's a text that's it's my a text, text oh tone. got it oh so it even is like that's a longer that's a more sustained text notification Yes. Yeah. And then when somebody, you know, we have those friends who like to text three or four, they just, oh, yeah. each sentence is its oh, own text. Yes. So then it, it yes. makes that mystical sound and it keeps on going yeah. and going and going. Uh -huh. and just, <laughs> you're like, wow, I'm so popular today. And then it's just the same person who just texted. Yes. 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 Send. Yes. I mean, send. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why wouldn't maybe I? Maybe I should, send? yeah. But, and, I, and I definitely do that. I'm so do guilty you? of that. I think I do. I think there's something 
this is not something I've given any thought to whatsoever, but I think some days I'm in the mood to sort of lean in to like the expression of a text and sort of like sort of play with that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like you sort of play with it where you are like, it's, I don't want to say it's like around the corner from a haiku because it really <laughs> isn't, but it might be like two cities away from a haiku. Like yeah. there's a little bit of a sort of like, Oh, I'm pausing for a dramatic effect, but really I'm just, and it's punctuationless, but I'm just sort of dropping in different little words and moments, but that's what ends up happening. You're right. Somebody is getting dinged and ding, 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 ding. And there are a couple of text threads that I'm on with friends of mine who are in like, for example, like an improv group that I'm in. And then another one was like a radio, like a live play sort of. And if you're like, if you're on a plane or if you're say recording, you're in the studio and then you come out and yeah. you have just missed a, a short flurry. It takes no time at all for there to be like 56 texts. Yes. And your first thought is what has happened? What terrible emergency yes. has happened in the world? Yes. Yes. And then you realize it's like just people being playful. Yeah. Doing I, one word texts. I'm on a few of those and I actually, I have to confess, I have them on do not disturb. Yeah. I forget do that you? that's a thing. Yeah. I forget because, it's a thing. Because yeah, it'll be like, like when I was on the exorcist last year, which was so lovely. It's the first time I've ever had this actually with a cast. It was not just the cast. It was a lot of, a lot of the people that we worked with, like yeah. the makeup and hair department and I love producers and, um, ADs that we'd see it every day. And then when it was the weekend, everybody would want to make plans. So the whole group would pull plans together, Aww. make dinner reservations yes. and stuff. But that says a lot be because I'm sure makeup long trailer, hours. and of course everybody's phones are dinging right every same, two yeah. seconds because everyone is on the the texts. So you kind of had yeah. to put on do not disturb. How how where does that shoot? That filmed in Vancouver last year. Oh okay, it won't be back. It oh. got it, it was only on for two seasons. I've seen the first season and I haven't seen the second season yet. Um, it was genuinely very scary. It's yeah. a sincerely scary show. I was impressed. Yeah. Like that and Hannibal, I think, were two shows on networks, like just regular network television that I thought, oh my, like we, that, I can't believe they can get away with being this scary. I'm, I'm yeah. spooked, I'm, but impressed. I think they definitely pushed the boundaries yeah. on, uh, on The Exorcist. Yeah. But it was an interesting thing. They, they didn't, there wasn't really any censorship from the network, which was Fox, yeah. weirdly. Yeah. Um, and no expense spared in terms of the very best special effect makeup yeah. and CGI and all of that. And yet they did not do a whole lot of publicity for the show. So a lot of yeah. people don't even know it it's was on so, the air. Isn't that but it's on Hulu now. Okay, so that helps. A lot of people find stuff on Hulu for sure. Yeah. But I mean, that's but that really is extraordinary because you are working such long hours with people depending on the show and depending on the relationship, that kind of community relationship, it would make just as much sense for everybody to sort of go and incubate and hole up and just, you know, rest on a weekend. And the fact that that camaraderie was there to where you really are like, not only do we enjoy spending time together on set, but let's relax and have a glass of wine and a meal together as this big group, I think is it's wonderful. That is wonderful. Yeah, that's I would say that's kind of rare and it's just the way this one was. Yeah. But if you are lucky enough to make one lasting friend, I think on each job, couldn't agree that's more. So special. Could not agree more. It's a that that is one of the things that I think not wouldn't necessarily not to just like wax rhapsodic in an obnoxious way about get us getting to do this for a living. But I will say that on the side of that may not be a thing that appears to the less experienced in kind of the showbiz world yeah. where like whatever the perks are, are perceived as one thing. And yet I think for so many of us, it's like, no, 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 no. I get what you're saying. That's all lovely. That doesn't matter. It's these friendships. It's these moments. It's these people that you're like, oh, this is why I'm doing this show. You. Uh, it's that, so priceless. I love hearing you say that. That is right? so, so exactly true. Um, some of, I, I mustn't say which jobs for obvious reasons, but there, <laughs> there are some jobs that I've had in my lifetime that nobody is ever going to see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, and 
And yet I think of the friends I made and how that job changed my whole life because of those friends and yeah. everything that those friends led to. Yeah. And I've had some other jobs where the friends I've made, it's something that people did see and was very popular, but it's still the friendship and that connection and where that, that connection led me in my life. That is by far, that's all that really, really matters. Yeah. Not so much what is left behind that everybody sees. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. It must be said that this secret beverage that has been laid in front of me right now. Are you nervous? (laughs) It's the first one you did, right? How exciting. Okay. This looks extraordinary. I'm, I'm going to thank you. Thank you so very much. That was my assistant. Just kidding, guys. That's not the case at all. Um, look at how wonderful. How I, I, I hope that. Listen, we just got a, an espresso machine. Um, okay. And uh, is it good? Wow. Oh, good. Wow. Oh my okay. gosh, this is very exciting. I mean, this is like day one. This is day two of ownership of the little espresso machine. This is so incredible. You're part of the beginning of the rest of our lives as espresso drinkers. <laughs> Coffee, when it's made right, is such yeah. an incredible beverage. It's kind and of like, like improv, actually. Like when it's right, it's so right. Times. And then when it's wrong, it's just... Yeah. Like, oh, is yeah. this even the same substance? Mm-mm. It's one of those like kind of very specific flavors that can either go so right or just mm. horribly wrong, and you can't even believe they're the same thing. I'm so glad oh, this is so, that this is... God, that's this great. is so divine I'm beaming. Right I'm beaming. <laughs> I could, <laughs> I I could so blow much. the whole rest of this podcast, and you still would have this delicious beverage, and yes. I, would, I could walk away leaning on that, feeling like it wasn't an abject failure. Uh, do you ever make cold brew coffee? No, I do. no. I, I've listen, started doing neither it. Neither one of us were coffee drinkers. For the longest time, we both just drank tea. And then one day, mm. I don't even know what happened. I think we were in, we were someplace traveling because that tends to be the place where you sort of find yourself going yes. like, maybe I'm a this kind of person. And I didn't yes. even know it. And it was one of those <laughs> where we were somewhere that had great coffee. And I was like, hey, I know you don't drink coffee, but like, you should have a cappuccino here or you should have yeah. a latte here. Cause this is kind of a great city for that or whatever. And Brandon had, uh, one latte and he was like, huh, I drink espresso now. I drink lattes now. It's just like that. I huh? know it. This is the most delicious flavor. So it's been kind of gradually getting up to this point where it would make sense for, for us to have an espresso machine. But I still, mm-hmm. I'm very, uh, I react very strongly to caffeine, not really in the way most people do. I sort of get tired immediately, but yeah. also jittery, but there's yeah. no, I never have that moment of like, Whoo! but I can kind of get there with like a very low amount of caffeine in a tea yeah. over a period of time. Maybe I'll sort of start to feel like a little more perky. I wish I've I actually had just that started getting into the traditional Chinese teas. Mm-hmm. There's a Chinese um, tea ceremony spot in Franklin, Tennessee, which is really close to Nashville. Um, so I never really thought I liked Chinese tea before, but I can see the allure of it. But when I make it at home, I make it really strong. So it's, yeah. it's very not traditional. Yeah. Somebody who was traditional would, would slap me on the uh-huh. wrist for the way I make it because <laughs> I steep it too long. You're only supposed to pour the bo- uh, boiling water over it for like 40 seconds and then you drain oh, wow. it. Oh, okay. And then you quick. use the tea leaves over and over again, which yep. I didn't know before. There's a whole fine art to it. And it is, there is a big difference between what like you get in a, a tea bag, a commercial tea bag mm-hmm. versus the green tea tips that they, they find and source in yeah. the tea fields of China. Yeah. Um, it doesn't even taste like, as you were saying, it's not like the same beverage. Yeah, it it's really so is. Different. It becomes a sort of like, oh, this is sort of the the hint of a whisper of like, oh, I had a dream last night yeah. that I drank green tea and this is kind of a remnant of that versus like, I'm here, I'm present, yeah. I'm experiencing it. How yeah. long have you been in Nashville, by the way? I've lived in Nashville officially now for exactly a year. Okay. But during that time, I was in Vancouver working on The Exorcist for three months. I was in New York working on a movie two months ago um I've just gotten back from tour all over the place so you know but you've been doing you've had this lifestyle for some iteration of this your whole life life. yeah more or less yeah so it feels good to have my home base be someplace that truly feels like home because Mm -hmm. when I am home 
I just, this isn't something I quite ever had in LA. Although I loved the house I lived in, in LA and I had, I made it my own and I had a beautiful private sort of oasis backyard, which I treasured. It just didn't quite feel like home. Mm. It, hard to explain what feels like home. Where were you Where were you born and raised when you I weren't working? I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay. And I lived there full on until I was 14. And then I started going back and forth to LA and then I moved to LA for good when I was 16. Okay. Did you start, did you take school breaks? I can't remember if you did that or if you just. No, I actually was taught at home. So I never went to public school and, um, I didn't, I didn't officially even graduate, although I did get a certificate that said I had finished through grade 12, Yeah, which was because when I was on the set of Twin Peaks, my mother was my guardian and she was also my teacher. And a SAG rep told us that that wasn't allowable because it oh. couldn't be the same person. Oh, interesting. But I didn't have any other teacher. Yeah. And my dad was in Massachusetts. So this was something that our friends sort of produced. And I think I had pretty much finished uh-huh <laughs> but I had it was all so weird I never took any SATs or right mm, equivalencies Which, or any know. of that I mean, stuff I don't know what that even I don't know I don't I mean all due respect to the system because <laughs> my parents both taught in the public school system yeah. my mom also taught at a private school but uh I don't I not I'm sure I'm not the first person to say it or will I be the last that I cannot equate any of my intellectual value to having taken those tests like I have zero memory of doing it I don't you know what I mean like there's just no nothing about that feels like it is actually a benchmark moment of like well I guess I'm a grade 12 graduate now or whatever it just sort of doesn't matter and when you took it were you taking it with the intention of going to college I did and I did go to I did go to college um, I don't think it was it, for me, it didn't feel like a choice. And it's not that my parents, I didn't have, I've never had like aggressively guiding parents in that way. Um, yeah. but I, but I also feel like I just, I just didn't think I wouldn't, I was like, well, of course I, I'm going to go to college, even though I already was interested in theater and we didn't have any money. So, and I was also just so pragmatic these guys know but I was so pragmatic even at 17 when I graduated I was like well I'm not gonna incur student loans for theater that's crazy I'll be you know I'll never pay that money back yeah so I everything I every choice I made was just sort of like what's the what you know where can I go that's inexpensive I got a full ride to anywhere in Arizona Uh, so I went to you know a college there for a little while and then I always wanted to live in San Francisco so I finished SF State but SF State mm. is like, you know, I worked for a year to to get residency so that I could pay however much it was, $4,000 a semester instead of 15 or whatever it costs to, you know, pay out of state. That's so expensive. It's, you know, and then yeah. I have friends now who went to, you know, NYU and are they're still paying back their student loans. So yeah. I guess in that way I feel. But they also have like stories and experiences that they wouldn't trade for, you know, the kind of like and they weird can bohemian thing I did. Yeah. Everyone who's gone to NYU yeah. can juggle apparently. Yes. yes. There are a lot of jugglers. I, I've been, people have tried to teach me to juggle over and over again and I, <laughs> I don't have the aptitude for it. Same. I think it's but just I a, never it's went a patience to NYU. thing too. And neither of us went to See, NYU. See, I think there's something about NYU because everyone I've ever met who has gone to NYU yeah. can juggle. Even when they, they haven't make it practiced it in years, they yeah. give them three apples. They're <laughs> juggling. <laughs> that true. also seems like something that someone would. Uh, th- th- and now I'm stretching a little bit, but it also seems like something that someone would decide was really important to teach a young person on a set because that's what's kind of cool about what you did is that like some kids who have were homeschooled have expressed to me on the podcast a, a sense of like, well, I do miss, I feel I was, I missed being socialized because there wasn't a replacement for that, you know, sort of community of young people that you experience in a school, but you were working. So you're, you're being yeah. socialized, not just to people your own age, but to people of all ages, which is kind of extraordinary. And specifically, I didn't know how to relate to people my own age. Well, that was my next because, question actually like, was like, actually, but did was, that mean? No, it was interesting. I had, I was very, I think about it often, uh, how lucky I was that I met a couple of really exceptional 
people who are still my dear friends to this day who were like when I was 18, they were 31, 32. And I think about myself at that age, would I have befriended a an 18 year old? I mean, the, the fact is yes, because I grew up that way. Right. And because these amazing people sort of took me under their wing. Right. I was too young to get into bars. They would like, this was before they carded everybody as seriously as they do now. It was yeah, much, yeah. much easier to just sneak me in and yeah. stuff. But I was awkward. I was really awkward. I had never had a drink. I was totally virginal and like not in any way. Right. Any Where was this? Where was it when you when you were 18? What well, were you I working on? You were living I moved in LA. To LA yeah. when I was 16 full time. Gotcha. But I'd already spent a lot of time out here before that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I I had these amazing friends who sort of let me hang out with them and their friends. And meanwhile, I didn't meet anyone my own age. I I had whenever I would audition for things like a high school thing or something like that. I think I probably just didn't fit in. Yeah. And the kids that I would meet at auditions didn't seem to have anything in common with me. Right. So I didn't really have any friends my own age for many, many years. In even working on Urban Legend, I, we've been talking about this a lot lately, um, in my life anyway, because it's the 20th anniversary of Urban Legend this year. Mm-hmm. And we did a DVD documentary for it, interviews with most of all the cast. That's pretty cool. Was that fun? It was, well, it was surreal. We weren't together, though. Yeah. That would have been really fun yeah. had everyone been in the same room, but everybody probably was been scattered all over the place focus in on working, anything because so. it would be so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think seeing it cut together is going to be cool. Yeah. Because we all have different remembrances. Yeah. But that was the first time I was in a group of people that were all within a few years of my age. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I'm... There were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer who saved her life. Farm-raised snow leopard. True. Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one, or weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. I don't want to get like super meta and weird about the fact that you've been doing this so long. Frequently, my guests, of course, did not had not had the lifestyle that you've had. But um, the other thing that I like, I remember about you uh, because I was a huge Twin Peaks fan when I was when it came out when I was in high school. I had like you know pictures in my locker, and it was just yeah. very, it, was, it it hit at the perfect time for me at like whatever age I was, uh, thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really just, you know, it was like, and then that was certainly true for people who weren't that age, but I think for somebody like me who had also just sort of like started getting into like The Cure and Depeche Mode and sort of just David Lynch's films in general, and it felt, and I think that's one of the things that's so wonderful about that age, that sort of age range of adolescence is it felt like it was just for me. Yeah. And there are things like that in that age that I don't I don't necessarily have that response to stuff now. And it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm more sort of like, let's collectively enjoy this thing. And like, of course, everyone loves this because this is a special thing that people I like would like. Yeah. But when you're younger, I think at least for me, there was this there is this sort of preciousness about it. That's like, oh, this is just really speaking to me in ways I can't explain or understand. And so. I yeah. read up on everything and, 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 and I think the thing that kept coming up, um, when things would be written about you when you were young was like, people didn't know what else to say, but she's preternaturally talented. She's so mature for her age. She has this wisdom. Yes. She's a, and so, that drove me so how crazy. much of that, yeah, I, I was just was wondering how too. much of this made it back like, to you because so much of yeah. how we're shaped is what other people tell us. Or and of course it was be. a compliment, right. but I, I think I was aware that all of those things, which I knew were also blessings, um, it was also all tied into the fact that I had such an unusual growing up and I didn't really fit in. 
So I think I just kind of wanted to move on from that. Yeah. I remember when I was on Sybil, which was my first like really big mainstream job. Yeah. And there was this story that came out in People magazine and... I mean, I, I I knew about the story. I was a photo shoot and an interview and everything. I wasn't right. surprised, but they everybody they interviewed said the same thing. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, that's nice, but also, I don't know. Yeah. I just it, being nineteen, I kind of wanted to be. I did. I wanted to get away from the child prodigy label, which I which still makes me cringe. Right, because I. had... Before all of that, I was on That's Incredible when I was five, uh-huh. and that's kind of what kicked off my whole career. I forgot weirdly. about That's Incredible. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen That's Incredible. Is it like? It's so just it like did, I don't know if it was, it was Ripley Fleet or not. Show. That doesn't make sense. But it well, was no, like star searchy kind of. No, thing. no, no, not no, at all. No. It was. It was. I think of it as a variety show, but it was basically maybe like a cross between Ripley's believe it or not and some sort of talent show, but it was not, I mean the so name, I guess the name says it sang all. or performed. It was more like somebody walking on nails oh, or a portion. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. someone that could swallow flames. So it is, it, like that's that. incredible is probably a very apt name. And like, yes. they really hit it out of the park on that one because the yeah. thing that you conjures is someone shouldn't be able to do this, but and look, yet they did. Yeah. Yes. yes. And so that was you not walking on nails. That was me um, reciting Shakespeare. Reciting Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. And the okay. casting director for Dune um, was having a hard time casting this role a few years later and ended up asking That's Incredible if they had any recommendations. Mm-hmm. And they sent my tape. So that's the power so, that they ended up wielding accidentally. It would be like, well, listen, changed my we whole life. Some, yeah. And my my dad was a teacher too. I didn't know anybody. There was no one in my family who was a professional entertainer. Yeah, in Worcester. So, I it's conceivable that it might not have occurred to me to be an actor for a living had fate not stepped in and made that possible. Yeah. When that happened, did was there a sense of because when we're younger, our realities are our realities. We sort of, you know, we were malleable. Whatever becomes, we ad- we're very adaptive. Like mm-hmm. whatever is kind of in front of us becomes what feels normal, yeah. at least to a certain degree. Um, but do you remember having a sort of a sense of recognition as you started acting, feeling like, oh, this feels really good, or this feels like yeah, from this from the yeah. moment I set foot on the set. I had that very strong sense before I'd even done it professionally, but I'd already at that point auditioned for David Lynch and for the casting director before that. And I felt like there was nothing to the acting thing. It was, yeah, that was definitely like second nature. Yeah. I think when you're a kid too, acting is like second yeah. nature because that's what you do anyway. You're playing house and playing dolls and absolutely scenarios absolutely it's too bad that something happens with certain with like a lot of child actors where if they are they're all they're almost trained out of that right they're sort of trained out of it and then it becomes like this sort of weird mask that this kid puts on where you're like i just need to crack through to the kid in there this is you don't have to do that i've actually never taken an acting lesson yeah i I don't know why you would but well by the time i realized that it was maybe a cool thing to try. I also had been doing it for so long that I realized they were probably going to teach me. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I really wouldn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So I think that's very, very true. It's great for some people, obviously it's, it's fantastic. But for me, it just, it's something I just never did. And then I wouldn't want to do it now. And I have my own methods of finding different places. So I don't, I don't, I almost don't want to delve into what that is because it might break Agreed. it. Agreed. Absolutely. I don't know. It's, I, I couldn't, I could not espouse the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Uh, rule of thumb for something like that. I couldn't, I couldn't embrace that more. Um, the thing that, uh, that I do want to ask is that there is this sort of, you know, on a, on, on a, on sort of a different level, we joke about it in Los Angeles in terms of the passing of time being kind of, um, 
less apparent because they're because the seasons sort of blend together and kind of aren't anything. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, when when you're marking time as a young person with like now I'm in middle school, now I'm in high school, now I'm in there's sort of a there's a sort of natural um confirmation like there, there there's sort of a, a a a way of conforming to like what other people are telling you that like these are these are times in your life that are important and here you're walking down an aisle with a is the and now that I am out of that and I don't have kids and we have this crazy lifestyle right where it is sort of like I where, where am I going to be at this time next year I have absolutely no idea yeah. um do you feel like the process of you aging has been I mean, you wouldn't know any other way, but do, uh, this is just like not even a question, but do you know what I mean? Do you feel like you had those sort of like, and now I'm 16 and now I'm eight, like, Oh n- no, I definitely yeah. didn't. Yeah. I definitely didn't. I had no, I had no concept as you're saying. Um, and I'm sure that's partly why, but also my life specifically when I was 16, I was playing piano for a living and yeah. paying the rent and, just trying to get to be at a point with my acting where I would get to do that more. Cause moving to LA, I had to just, it, it was as though I hadn't done anything. Cause I practically hadn't, I had done a few things. I'd done Dune when I was seven and then I'd, I was in Twin Peaks and a Mike Figgis movie called Liebestrom that I had a small part in. But, it's hard to because like doing something like Dune, because because Hollywood loves to put us in boxes, and I understand it. It is. It's sort of a sense of like, this is what I've seen you do well. Yeah. There aren't that many. It's not like there. I would imagine there. It's not like you were playing a precocious kid like on Full House or something, where someone goes like, mm-hmm. Based on that, I know I can drop her right into this environment, and she'll be this yeah. kind of kid. Uh, that's not. That's such a, such an extraordinary role in such extenuating circumstances that I'm sure there was a sort of like. Well, what do we do? Like, how, how, how does that translate into other jobs? Potentially. Yeah, it, well, I think it was, it just, I, I was an unknown, really. I mean, I was, because I'd made that one movie as a child and then I was a teenager. So it's not like, that was just a cool thing, I think, to get me in the door because I had experience. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't totally green. And then I had been on Twin Peaks, so that's cool. And, um, but it wasn't like, people had any sense of whether I could or couldn't act based on those, I think. Were people, um, uh, uh, did people try to shoehorn in? I, because this has happened to be 0.0001% when they find out like there's some other skill I have. Yeah. Or do people get so excited to be like, well, we gotta get you playing piano in this for at least some portion of yeah, the that, show. Yeah, that has <laughs> happened. That's happened so many times. And, you know, it's fun. But, yeah. you know, it, it's it's interesting. I definitely did get a little burned out on the simply playing piano part of it. Yeah. Um, because in my heart, I really wanted to be making my own music. And when I was a child I competed for many years um with classical music and I um I spent a lot of energy and time focusing on that yeah which helped it puts it with in a this different sort of child yeah. prodigy label as well right because right. it was again like all this this accomplishment yeah but the way so that's as, measured is so different than if you're just composing your own stuff and yeah, having so. that kind of voice too I would think I mean yeah. it's just a it's just placing emphasis on some more maybe specific qualities that maybe are less like emotionally personal yeah I don't know if that's true because I've you know I haven't done much of that but well it's yeah there's nothing there's a way to put your own personal spin on a on a classical piece, but it's sure. nothing like how it feels to express yourself through something that you wrote. But were you writing when, your own stuff all through that period of time? No, not yeah. consistently. I would write a little bit, but then I it took me a while to get brave enough to to write on a regular basis and and get to the point where I would write songs and finish them and then know that they weren't going to be songs I'd ever perform, but they were still finished. Mm -hmm. You know, just that discipline of it. 
Um, and when you knew that you weren't ever going to perform them, what, why was that? Well, just as time would go on, I'd write a song I liked better. And, mm-hmm. um, and then some of those songs you think are going to be at the bottom of the heap, you rediscover them again yeah. and you can put changes on it and then it becomes something you do. Perform. Yeah. Actually this, the EP I've just released, one of the songs on it, I wrote most of it about seven years ago and it's a song I always loved. I just wrote so many more that because I didn't record it and people didn't know the song, it didn't get requested because nobody knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of those songs that nobody knows, I just, it's kind of up to me whether I play them or not and other songs took its place and then it sort of resurfaced and, and here it is. That's so, I think that's so wonderful. It is. It's almost like having a, a conversation with yourself from seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, but then all of the stuff that's kind of come between those two yous ends up filling in in some abstract way. Yeah. And, and making it something different. Yeah. Do you have a sense of nervousness when you when you bring out a new song and you are sort of like, do you, are you, or how good are you are, how good are you at the sort of like, once it's out there, I can't control it anymore. I have to sort of walk away from it. And I, you know, what people, how they respond is how they respond. Absolutely. Um, when I was, when I was first starting out, um, I think I was a little bit more anxious about what people would think about my songwriting mm-hmm. and what they would think about my singing voice too, because although I was very confident about my ability as a piano player, um, singing and singing my own songs was brand new for me. Yeah. So now I, I just, now I'm confident in my ability to know if I've written something that has the ability to connect people which I think is the most important thing about an original song. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, there's a limited time and space for journal entry type songs where they're so specific. Right. They don't apply to anyone else's life. Right. And some of those are amazing. But what I try to do at this point is write songs that have enough of my personal experience that inspired the song but also enough not in there that other people can put their own colors to it. And I I just played a show in New York and this incredibly personal song, probably the one I would think was the most journal entry ish Mm -hmm. because it's so vague Uh in a weird way. Um, This woman came up to me and told me how much it reminded her of her mom and the experience they had when her mom passed away, which could not be further from what the song is about. But I was just listening to her thinking, I, wow, this is such a specific moment to me. And it was such a, an incredibly different specific moment for her. That's magical to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's sort of the way, I mean, to just like use a very trite reference, but like abstract art versus, you know, something that's very photorealist. It's like you can, you know, you can can walk away with this entirely different emotional experience if you're given the room to. Yeah. You know, so there you have this thing, yeah, where you kind of thought it was so specific and that ended up cracking it even wider open than something more specific. I love that. What a moment. I love when when I see also people in the audience, I always think that there's so many people within that audience that might think they don't get along with each other or they couldn't be friends. But if they're all sitting and listening and relating to a song, they are getting along. They have that in common. Couldn't agree more. Um, I saw Walk the Moon live at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville a few months back when they came through and... I had that sense because I I love that music. It's so anthemic and so personal to them and also um, very poppy, but the lyrics are just poetic. I love music like that. Yeah, and I do too. And I thought I saw couples of all different types and sexualities in that room and ages and races, and I just thought what an amazing 
what an amazing way to have all of these different people and their diverse experiences relating to this music. Yeah. All these different stories connecting. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hey, gang, uh, this is Jesse, and I am joined by Bikram, the managing director of Maximum Fun. Hi, everyone. So we have some really amazing news to close out 2018. After this spring's pledge drive, we gave members the chance to buy enamel pins with the full profits of those sales going to the National Immigration Law Center. This is a tough time to be an immigrant in the United States. As individuals, as a company, and as a community, we wanted to help provide resources for immigrants in the face of these attacks. We're proud to live in a nation of immigrants, and many of us here at Max Fun are immigrants or the children of immigrants ourselves. Together, we raised over $100,000. NILC will put that money to good use, providing legal representation to immigrants and their families who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. We are so proud of our community for making such an immense difference in so many lives. And whether you bought pins or not, you can help the NILC advocate for immigrants right now. All you have to do is go to MaximumFun.org NILC. That's MaximumFun.org NILC. Our thanks go to all of you who made this possible. Great work, everybody. And happy holidays from all of us at MaxFun. When people uh, haven't had the experience with music where they, when, when they, if you were to pose to someone like, well, what if you just couldn't listen to music anymore? What if you couldn't make music? Or what if, you know, what if music was sort of not a variable in your life at all? And there are some people who are like, I mean, okay. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I totally feel that way about other things, but mm-hmm. I really do have that, that relationship to music where it's it's gutting to imagine not having that and not having and 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 how terrifying to imagine how I would have developed as a person without if I, without it. I just don't know. Do you know who, that Sean Colvin song? If there were no music, if yeah, there, I would not get through. Don't yeah. know why. Totally. But if totally. there were no music, then I would not get through. Yeah, a I thousand don't know why percent. I know these things, but I do. Thousand percent. <sighs> Side note. Sean, Col- Sean Colvin's publicist uh, offered her up to me and then never <gasps> delivered. And I was like, but, but, but you scammed me. I don't, where, where is oh, she? So we got to make that happen. Got to make that happen. Got to make it can happen. Can you please ask her if I can open for her at the yes. same time? Now I have a like extra official reason. I mean, I think she's certainly in the like m- more modern songwriters. Yeah. She's in the top five of yeah. influences on yeah. me that it, I just, I'm glad that came up organically. Cause I hate to ask like, who are your influences? Yeah. But luckily something came out organically, but now I kind of want to know who else. Oh, there's so many. Well, the, the more classic singer songwriters like Billy Joel, Elton John, Carol King, yeah. Paul Simon and Barry Manilow also. Yeah. Those um, are, you just named a lot of, people who really do kind of tell a story and like yes. build a, build a very specific picture in a world in a yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. Those are growing up. Those were massive influences to me. Yeah. And I thought that's what a well-crafted song ought to be. So that certainly was in my head. Yeah. I also loved the big band era when I was mm. growing up. So even more, um, going back, um, composers like Cole Porter and Duke Ellington sure the Gershwins yeah I love those and they're so simple but so just they're such beautifully crafted mm-hmm. little poems and the plays on words they used to yeah, do yeah I was gonna say the sort of the witticisms <sighs> and the kind of like I think there's there's stuff tucked in there that um really does 
tell the story about the era itself and sort of what's on the surface and then what's right underneath and then what's even deeper underneath, you know, where our culture was or where certain elements of the culture were and sort of, you know what I mean? Like there's just sort of Mm -hmm. like, there's, there's a lot of kind of winking and there's some like very deep sort of jaded sarcasm (laughs) and you know what I mean? Like there's some wonderful darkness, but then there's, but there's so much, Oh, I just think it's, uh, I love those layers. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and then more modern ones, um, from the last 20 years, Tom Waits is just, although of course he started around the same time as Elton and yeah, Billy Joel. Um, but I guess I should say I discovered him. That's what I, I was about later. to say. Cause I feel the same way about certain people. I'm like, well, actually I think of them as almost more modern in that my appreciation of yeah. them rose later. Well, not having gone to public school, um, I didn't really listen to what was on the radio all that much. Yeah, I was going to ask, how did you, music. who was, yeah, who and was kind of sh- putting things in front of your ears, so well, to speak. my mom and dad. Yeah. My mom definitely loved Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond, and I loved Anne Murray. That was, I mean, the easy listening radio station right, to listen right. to. Yeah. And then aside from that, it was the big band station that my grandparents listened to. And I just fell in love with that music. So when I was playing the radio, I always put it on WNEB, mm-hmm. 1230 AM. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was my jam. Do you have siblings? Um, I have a brother. Yes. Okay. It's sometimes I, I'm an only child and sometimes I can't. I realize I forget to even ask. I'm yeah. like, oh, I just assume that I, either it would come up or that I, you know what I mean? But like, oh, no, wait, I, I, it's <laughs> worth knowing if that's, if, if I'm just like painting a picture of someone that's not accurate. I've always thought because I, I, it was such a small family though, families that I know of who have, you know, multiple siblings, it just sounds so magical to me. Yeah. The idea I, of having so many, I think I've sought out people though, they're, several women that I think of as my sisters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. big sisters, little sisters, yeah. same age sisters, yeah. you know, I love that. It's awesome. Yeah. And I have some brothers too. Yeah. Like, I mean, friend brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, going back to the, the period of time when you had, um, friends who were older, who were sort of pulling you into that world, yeah. I don't mean to get too incredibly personal, but that's sort of the other question is like where how does romance come in and and you have so many there's just like again what are the rules like it becomes confusing potentially I would think my first kiss was on screen oh yeah (laughs) yeah I was 17 so crazy yeah it was with Crispin Glover amazing so that was the first Uh, kiss I ever had and cameras were rolling yeah yeah that's not really a great representation of the it's the exact opposite, right? It's like here's oh, this yeah. incredibly intimate watching. moment that is serves an entirely outside purpose I in know. this case. Go nuts. I know. Yeah. And it wasn't like a massive makeout kiss. It was just a kiss between a husband and wife. It was set in the 30s yeah. and he and I were married and it was something David Lynch directed called Hotel Room. Mm-hmm. Um so it wasn't like a makeout, but to me having just turned 17 and I was emancipated. And so I was like a legal adult and everything, but I just, it was the first kiss ever. Did anyone else know? No. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, I didn't tell anyone. And, and that was the thing. I, I mean, I carried myself. I think I was a really weird mix of seeming very mature for my age and very immature at the same time. So I don't think anybody would have thought it was my first kiss. I right. carried myself like I was a grown up. Right. You know? Yeah. So, but yeah, dating was actually difficult um, as, a, as a girl that age because I was only interested in people who were much older than me. Yeah. And most people who are much older than a 17 year old are a little bit like, um, I think you're too young for me. Yeah. At the I'm going to stay day, far away for, right. I mean, like they, you know, that's very young. Right. So <laughs> is there a point at which there, there starts no to dates, be a momentum? Like I would just fancy yeah. someone and right, they right. didn't want to go out right. with me because I was a kid and they right. were 30. So. Yeah. Which, but that continued like 18, yeah. 19. I had a few dates, a few kisses, but you know, they didn't want to go much further than that. Right. 
but but yeah, my first boyfriend was wonderful. So um, that was a three-year relationship. So it was worth waiting for. Absolutely. Yeah. And was that something that, um, again, I'm not not deprived. This is just kind of in the grand scheme of things. Is is there a point at which it starts to feel like there's more overlap between people your age and people who are older than you? Because that's what I found in this business also. It's like at a certain point, I started feeling like my own age group was I don't want to say catching up to me. That sounds awful. That's not well, what I mean. But I also felt very comfortable with adults. And I think there's there was some period of time in my late 20s where everything started to kind of blend together in a way that felt really good to me because it didn't feel like I'm here and I don't belong there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I wasn't as, as self-aware of yeah. how I fit into all that with the age being a number kind of thing. Yeah, I think I can understand what you mean. Opposed I mean, to like certainly got to a now point where you can only relate to people in their late sixties. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. it doesn't continue being no, no. sort of like, you know. No. Yeah. And now I have many friends who are younger and friends who are older. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. I it, like when it becomes more of a soup of yeah, people. That's yeah. a great feeling. It um, is cool. I want to get started on this mash game, so I don't want to keep you here forever, although I'm very tempted mash to. Mash game? Uh, okay. This is our mansion, apartment, shack, and house game that I can only remember playing at school, so I want I don't want to say this is the most important thing you missed out on, but once you've never done this mash. once, you can cross it off your list and wow. know that you didn't miss out on anything in public school. This That's, is it. This is the one thing. This is a really amazing experience yeah. that you're giving me. Thank yeah. you. It's, my, it's a very, very important moment okay. for... Us all. All right. Uh, okay. So for this MASH category, I'm going to start out with three uh, singer-songwriters that, uh, whether they are still alive or not, um, in our magical MASH universe, you uh, would want to collaborate with on some level. Wow. Yeah, that's I'm starting, great... I'm starting okay. strong Tom and Waits. scary. Great. Um, Sean Colvin. Great, great, great. And Ed Sheeran. He's definitely someone that like people are very interested in as a human being. You know what I mean? Some people kind of cross over that threshold where people are like, I just want to know this guy. Like what's going on? Like what? He's very special versus like, oh yeah, so-and-so put out another thing. They're great. Let's listen to the yeah, album. He, Goodbye. He collaborates well with other people, mm -hmm. which is why the, and Sean Colvin does too. But um, I don't know if Tom Waits writes with anybody. That's I doubt a good he question. does actually. He's just in his his Tom Waits writing cocoon. But how magical would that be to write with well, Tom Waits? Listen, it could happen. But it's a real this. The, I haven't told you how the the, what the random selection. No, is I don't. What you end up with, but you okay. will end up with one of these in this okay. uh, in this uh, other universe we're building here. Okay. Um, next one is three. Yeah, let's do three places in the world that you would like to have uh, a sort of retreat. Um, okay. Where you could go and just be. If getting there were not an issue. Bali. Right. Where I've never been, but I, I know when I go, I'm going to love it. Um, Melbourne. Great. And Santorini. Santorini. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Uh, next category. Let's do three kind of in the same vein of the collaboration, but let's okay. do three three uh, figures um, in history, and they could be fictional characters as well, but uh, some character or person in time that uh, we're creating this sort of relationship with where, you know, you can just be sitting across a table drinking an espresso with them and just ask them about things and talk about the world and pontificate. And that can also be living or dead. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's a tough question. Wow. Yeah. I'm throwing you a lot of fastballs here. Ah, yes. Oh my goodness. I'd be very curious to talk to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder what was going on in his head. And there's so many different versions of who he was. Oh yeah. And his plays are so, I mean, yes. I don't need to explain that percent, choice. Yeah. I, Pretty sure y'all get the point. <laughs> He's Shakespeare. Um, next, who else would I choose? Um, oh, wow. Wow. It's the burden of too many choices, I know. There, I, uh, yes, yes. Um, gosh. I, I, this is really, really tricky. 
I know it has to come with a caveat of like, just know that there's a thousand answers that will have like exactly what we kind of were talking about before. It was like on a different day, the answer could be three different things. And like, this is a moment in time. It's a little snapshot moment. I put a lot of weight on it saying it's uh, your future alternate universe life, but it's still also just a moment in time. Okay. Well, I would love to... Um, wow, I'm being very boring right now. I'm trying to, <laughs> no, and it's like, you can't impose judgment on top of everything else. You can't, you have to leave that off. Okay. I would be interested to talk to Jane Austen. Oh, sure. I'm That's picking another author. I, I'm just, I would love it. Yeah. What was her philosophy? Oh my God. That would be yeah. fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what was her experience versus what she wrote about yeah. and imagined? Yes. And I want that answered. I'm going with writers, I guess. Um, I would be very curious to talk also to Ernest Hemingway. Yep, yep, yep. In next category is three foods that in our reality are either, say, ecologically irresponsible or you're allergic to or uh, they ultimately don't make you feel good after you eat them for one reason or another. In this reality... All bets are off. All those rules are, th- are thrown out the window. This is just like a magical caught in time moment where you can have anything in perpetuity and there's zero negative ramifications. And it could be as specific as like this one beautiful soup that you had at this one place that you've never been able to kind of find again. Or it could be like cookies. So wait, so Three. things that... Things so this that, is like in our rea- in our reality... That don't make me feel good in real yeah, life. Yeah, for one reason. Like it, but like yeah. in a magical world. In a magical world... It, it's all good. Oh, that's a good question. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, I really like poached eggs. Mm, me too. But I'm vegan, so yeah. I yeah, don't. Well, in this reality, poached egg doesn't mean poached eggs. So. Yeah, I like the way they taste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't see anything wrong with them, though, if the chickens are raised ethically. Yeah. Most, the vast majority of chickens are not raised ethically, and so I don't. Yeah. I don't eat that. Well, but in this anyway, universe, in this universe, it it's all happy with chickens that good. are roaming yep. free and there's just enough. That's exactly right. Um, I don't know. Well, I do know a mud pie blizzard from Dairy Queen. Great. This is what the game is for. Okay, these good. are the these are the bit these are the answers that are delicious. But it doesn't make you feel gross because it's not real dairy. Exactly. And no cows were harmed. Exactly. And it's not milk that was intended for the babies of some other species. That's right. That's exactly right. And it tastes so good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and then one more. How about, well, I don't like pickles, but I can understand the joy that people have when they do eat pickles. Yeah. So we develop a taste for pickles. Yeah. I love this. That's they're, great. They're wonderful. They're, this is I, the first time anyone's used this category to like something that, that they don't, they don't like. really get. I think that's great. Now, I almost want to change the category next time to like three things that you wish you liked because you and you you see how other people are satisfied by them. And you're yeah. like, I wish I could. Yeah. That's kind how I used like to feel about would... black licorice. And then for there was a spell before I found out I could not have flour. And that was what was making me sick where I was like. I'm a black, it was like that thing where I was like, I guess I'm a salty German black licorice person. (laughs) I get it all of a sudden. I thought it was the most disgusting thing ever. And then one day, I don't even remember why I accepted a piece. It was probably someone I was trying to impress. (laughs) And then I ate it and was like, this is kind of wonderful. It is kind of wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great, great, great. All right. Three alternate universe romantic companions can be a real person, could be someone from fiction, character, a character in a movie that someone played, but you don't really want to be with the actor, uh, cartoons, sky's the limit. Well, um, Don Draper on Mad Men. Good choice. I, yeah. Just in theory. Yes. Wow. That's all it is. Yep. Great. But a faithful version of him. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, (laughs) I would, can I choose Lucille Ball? Absolutely. What a personality. Absolutely. Delightful. Like, like Lucy Ricardo version of Lucille Ball. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm thinking shrink myself, go back in time to the fifties, be a man and be married to Lucille. Great. 
McGillicuddy, which yes. is her name. On the <laughs> and then just, yeah, see what that would be like. Love it. And then, um, hmm. Another fictional relationship. Well, you didn't say it had to be fictional. It doesn't I, have to be. But that seems to be the theme. The Ray Fine character in The End of the Affair. Oh. oh. Mm-hmm. How's that for some diverse choices? That's fantastic. That is hmm. fantastically diverse. I love it. Okay. Okay. Next category, uh, there is a, uh, in your home in Nashville, there is a uh, magical room. I'll use the Harry Potter comparison, which is the sort of room of requirement where you it doesn't appear on a blueprint because it just is exactly as big or as small as you need it to be okay. three uses for this magical room it could be that it's a forest it could be that it's a writing studio it could be a meditation room it could be where you quilt i would have um it would be a yoga studio okay which would also come with with yoga practicers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that i wouldn't be alone doing my yoga great because you need motivation um, it would also be a recording studio Great. and it would come with, a, an engineer mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. would just appear when I snapped my fingers. So I wouldn't have to deal with pro tools myself. Smart. I'm not good at that. It's very smart. And it annoys me. Um, and then the third use for it would be, um, a, the, the most incredible gourmet kitchen, mm-hmm. just like the one they have at that restaurant I was telling you about. The chef, the chef and, and I. I. Which, is that proper grammar? I'm so sorry. My dad was an English teacher and all I could think was, is it the chef and I or should it be the chef it and me? It should be the chef and me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> what a jerk. Yeah. This is, this it's is what, that's when I become my parent is when but I realize so many times. I. Yeah. The king and, no, no, that too. I mean, listen, so many times as a young person, I would be like pouring my heart out to my dad, expressing myself and I would get something grammatically incorrect and he would just very calmly stop me and correct me and I would lose my mind. Yeah. Like, this is neither the time nor the place, father. I didn't call him father. <laughs> uh, but that feel, and now I think I'm My mom was like that a bit. Yeah. She had, she was very, very into proper grammar, yeah. which I appreciate. Now I do. And now I think I'm that person. Now I'm the person who, you know, sort of mutters under my breath when I <laughs> am reading something or listening to something like, yeah. no, that's not right. Yet I'm sure I'm still making copious amounts of mistakes. Oh, goodness, uh, me too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next category, three, let's do three movie worlds that you can sort of step into and just be in the space. You're not reliving the plot. You're not a character in it, but it's sort of whatever world building they've achieved and the feeling you get from the movie, you can kind of step into and have that experience. Whenever you want. Um, I would pick um, Avatar. What a beautiful world. Blade Runner. Great. Original, yeah? Yeah, the original. Speaking of, Mm. I feel like with something like Blade Runner, like that... I'm hearing the soundtrack. Like, that has to be part of it. Like, I want to actually experience that world with the Vangelis soundtrack. Like, I want... That's that's one of the most beautiful soundtracks ever written. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, well, I loved the world of Twin Peaks. Absolutely. That vibe, it's magical. Yes. Done and done. Okay. Uh, beautiful. Okay. Last category. Let's do, um, three, like, sort of animal companion. It can be as magical as you want, or it can be as sort of literal as, like, you want your own dog. Although then it feels weird if you don't get your own dog in this alternate universe. Like, oh, sorry, arms. But um, oh. I know, right? But, so but it can be as magnificent and magical and impractical as you want. It could be impractical for the reason that, you know, we all know that we can't keep, you know, lions. I'll pick but my in three totem animals. Oh, great, I was perfect. told that, I had, that these are my totems. A deer, great, great. a wolf, great. and a, f- a lizard. Oh, great. Yeah, those were the three. Okay, perfect. Okay, uh, pick a number between one and seven. Six. Okay. I'm going to pause this. I'm going to do some very minor, what I cannot even call calculations. I'm going to come back with your 100% guaranteed alternate universe, MASH future. Okay. And then we will end the podcast. Okay. And that will be what we've done. 
I'm so excited to hear this magical alternate universe. And listeners, I want you to rest assured, to you it will seem as if no time has passed. (laughs) Okay, I am uh, feeling very, very positive about this outcome. So uh, allow me to deliver my results. Weird. Uh, I want to first congratulate you on your ability. Let's get this out of the way right away because I'm very excited about it. You can uh, and will dip into the world of Twin Peaks whenever your heart shall desire. Wow. I think that is a very, very good outcome. Although, oh, they were all great. Uh, any of those would have been such a win. But yes, the Twin Peaks, the Twin Peaks world feels uh, on some level a little more personal since you were actually on that show. Yes, uh, both versions of it. You so. have, indeed, indeed, um, you have a uh, mansion in Bali. You, oh, of course have. I do. <laughs> oh, it's, it's fate. You have, uh, you have a, 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 a spiritual connection with um, your totem animal, the deer, that of you course. have this sort of like, you, you have like a great one-on-one sort of relationship with this deer who one assumes uh, comes and goes as it pleases, but is still the sort of companion animal. Um, companion mole. Felt like I should be able to combine those two words into one weird portmanteau. Uh, you can eat unlimited guilt-free poached eggs. Okay. In this universe suspended from reality. Okay. You have a wonderful um, secret yoga studio with other uh, <laughs> participants in your Nashville home uh, whenever you are home in Nashville. You have done an extraordinary uh, number of uh, pieces that you that you worked in collaboration with uh, Mr. Tom Waits. Oh, I was so hoping you were going to say Tom Waits. And, I'm so and glad. I, and I didn't have, I didn't panic. I didn't burst yeah. into tears. I didn't implode yeah. with joy. But we were able to write together. That's right. Oh, yeah. Wow. Please. He has boundless respect for I, you. I really like this alternate yeah. universe. By the way, that could also still happen. Um, <sighs> you have... Uh, a, a very fulfilling uh, and informative conversation with a little someone we like to call Bill Shakespeare. Wow. Gonna, I hope that you write a book about that because there are going to be a lot of people who are quite envious and want some want to hear about uh, the, the various things that what, you're able to what discover. What was Bill about like? Him. I mean, yes, that's a pretty inside. What makes you Bill Shake tick? Yeah. What makes what makes Bill Shake? shake? Hmm. What makes be- yeah? Uh, <laughs> uh, hmm. And then finally, uh, I you did will... say it was a fulfilling relationship. Oh yeah, oh quite or something. Listen, I don't know it. how. Um, I'm hoping that uh, your the love affair that you're having with the uh, character that Ray Fiennes plays in the end <laughs> oh, of the affair, damn, is going this to is probably be very reality. intrigued. But yeah, he might be a little intimidated by the Tom Waits and Bill Shakespeare of it all. But uh, rest assured, you also these are have some that strong male energies. Uh, it, yeah, they are. They are. I, I wouldn't mind watching the three of them duke it out. Uh, you know for what? My affections. If this, I, I, if like nothing this. else. It would be wildly entertaining to watch that happen. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. That please, was so much please, fun. Please tell people where they can get uh, your latest EP. Well, it is out um, streaming everywhere that music is found. It's called 15,000 Days, which is the length of time I've been here, more or less. And um, it's streaming everywhere and if you want a CD of it, it's on my website, AliciaWitmusic.com. Alicia Whit Music. Can't mm-hmm. get any simpler than that, guys. You're crazy if you don't go there. <laughs> Make it happen. Um, this has been wonderful. I feel uh, renewed and invigorated by our conversation. And uh, let's never forget the deliciousness of that latte that uh, was magically delivered by an elf. It was probably the best <laughs> latte I've ever had. And I can't believe it's only day two for uh, you guys on your new this is... magical latte machine. I it's only going to go up from here. It's only going up from here. Um, thanks Thank again, you. everyone. And I will talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.